0: I don't know which kids say in sports you hit people, but he's getting ready for the Super Bowl, (laughs) because there's going to be a lot hidden in the Super Bowl. And Jacqueline, I feel bad too, because they didn't even invite me to go on the women's retreat. (laughs) Not even invited. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be with you. always a privilege uh, to be here, so let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the beauty of these days, sun and snow, and, and uh, to be together. and pray for the women that are on a retreat, um, finishing up and, and worshiping, and what a great thing that is, God. So we thank you. Help us to listen to your voice as we read your word, because it's your word, not mine. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I got this passage for preaching. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, every once in a while you get a passage and you think, well, what am I going to say about that? And I began looking at it. And I thought, this is amazing. It's amazing. It's when we come to this passage, we have to realize that it's all happening on the Sabbath. So let's review what has been happening on the Sabbath. Jesus is walking through the grain fields. This is two weeks ago. Walking through the grain fields with his disciples. And they're, they're hungry and they're plucking grain and they're eating it, which is legal. But doesn't follow the Pharisaic law. And the Pharisees say, behold, or pay attention, Jesus, your disciples, you are totally unaware that they are breaking Sabbath rules. Totally unaware. What kind of rabbi are you? Okay, and then Jesus uh, gives them some scripture about how David went into the holy place, and uh, they ate bread, they ate the show bread, and and. And the Pharisees have got to be steaming in cartoons. You would have seen the steam coming out of their ears, right? You remember that? And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And they've, they've got to be going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And then Jesus does this bold thing. He finishes that and he goes into their synagogue. And let me see if I can... Put these, this, these up. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And and he goes into their synagogue. And, and they're watching him. And they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because they want to prosecute him. They want to convict him. They want to prove that he's wrong. But the Pharisees, and, and then Jesus takes the man who has a withered hand, and he has him stand up in the middle. He says, put out your hand. And the man does and is healed. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, they get together. And they, it says, they went out and they conspired against him. How to destroy him. And that word destroyed means how to annihilate him. How to put him away good. How to kill him. They don't want him around. How do we get rid of him? They are really mad, Okay. So let me ask you this question. What do you do with people who are just, they're just against you? They're always looking to point a finger at you and to accuse you of doing something wrong when you, in fact, you have done nothing wrong. Would you go into their place? Would you go into their house of worship? How would you respond Well, that brings us to our text, and I want you to remember, it's still the Sabbath, and that's really important. So, our text this morning begins this way. Jesus, aware of this, aware of what? Aware of the fact that they want to destroy him. They want to destroy him because he's claiming to be Lord of Sabbath, and his disciples are eating. They want to destroy him because he is healed on the Sabbath. They want to destroy him because he has healed one person. So what does Jesus do? He goes, he, he, he withdraws from the synagogue, and many followed him. That word many means, um, it's actually two words. In English, you usually only translate one. But it means everybody from the synagogue and others, Okay there's a big crowd, so he's getting, they're all, they're they're following him. And then what did he do? Healed them all. So if he was going to be destroyed by, because he healed one person, how much more when he heals a multitude on the Sabbath? Now I was watching The Chosen this week, so it's a a new series out about Jesus and disciples. And um, he was healing people. He was healing all kinds of people, one after another. I I was watching, I was kind of thinking, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't see it happening that way. And then I read this passage, and I was like, yep, that's exactly what happened, because he healed a multitude, person after person after person after person. Can you imagine coming into this church today and you go, Jesus, I really have really bad eyesight and he heals you. You go, wow. Can you imagine leaving this scooter at the front door? Bunny, don't need it. Sell it. Put it on eBay. (laughs) Leaving your cane. Canceling your doctor appointment. Every single one of you, whatever the issue. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? You'd be, you'd be, you, it, and it's happening on the Sabbath. And he's already been prosecuted for healing one. How much more upset are the Pharisees thinking? Oh, not only is he healing one guy, he's healing everybody. Can you see how bold Jesus is? That's why I love this passage, because Jesus. He just doesn't care about them. And nothing doesn't care about them, but he's not going to listen to their nonsense. He is a shepherd, and his flock is hurting, and he's going to bring healing to them. Now here's why I want you to realize. Nothing is going to happen outside of Jesus' control. They want to destroy him, but they're not going to be able to destroy him. It reminds me of John chapter 10 and it says this Jesus says no one takes my life from me nobody is going to destroy me nobody is going to take my life the romans did not take his life pontius pilate did not take his life the religious leaders did not take his life no one takes my life from me i but i lay it down Of my own accord. He doesn't have to worry about the Pharisees plotting to destroy him because he's helping his flock. I have the authority to lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus is in complete control. And this passage reminds me of God's sovereignty. His sovereignty. Charles Spurgeon said says, When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Do you know why you can rest when you are going through a trial? Because Christ is sovereign. God is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of his control. Heal on the Sabbath? Yes, because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You're his sheep. You're his flock. We are his flock. Everything happens because he is sovereign. I'm reminded of a couple of Psalms. Psalm 4.8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety right because God is sovereign and nothing not even the life of Jesus is taken without him laying it down and then Psalm 121:27 says it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep we get so anxious about people who are accusing us. We get so anxious about people who are lying about us. We get so anxious about people that we perceive are trying to do us in that we can't go to sleep at night. And the Psalms say, and Jesus says, nothing happens outside of my control. Not even my life will be taken. Not by Rome, not by Pontius Pilate, not by the Pharisees. Jesus is in control. God is in control. And we can lay down. And then our story continues. And he ordered them, so ordered all the people. So he's just healed all of you, okay? Whatever your issue is, he's brought you healing. And then he says, don't tell anybody. I don't want to be made known. Don't say a word. He says that a couple times in Scripture. Something happens, he said, don't tell anybody. And you think, well, I thought we were supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. But there's a couple people, a couple times he says, don't tell. First, he tells the demons, he casts the demon out, and he says, be silent. He doesn't want a demon saying anything about Demons know he is, who he is. They'll say, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? Oh, They know exactly who he is. But the demons are the wrong kind of witness. Jesus does not want the demonic world saying a word about him. Two. People who are healed. He often says, don't say a word. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want it to be a spectacle Jesus does not want people coming to him, to because it's a, because it's a wow show. It's not about the physical healing. You know when Jesus what Jesus never does. He never says after he teaches, "Shh, don't tell anybody what I just said." He doesn't preach the Sermon on the Mount, and then say, all right, everybody, don't say a word. He doesn't feed 5,000 where he's been teaching all day long and conclude the feeding of the 5,000 by saying, shh, don't say a word. Because he wants his word known. He wants his teaching known. He wants people to know about his forgiveness. He wants people to know about repentance. If all it is... If all Jesus is, is a sideshow, that's putting it not quite in the right words, but it can become that, right? Healing everybody. Everybody has a problem with their physical body. Jesus wants you to know about heaven, hell, about redemption and salvation. It's really important. What Jesus is doing with all this healing is giving them an outward sign of what is to be an inward conviction. I'm healing your body, but I want to heal your soul. I want to heal your heart. I want to bring you home. And this was to fill, fulfill. And the word fulfill I like can be translated as complete. It oftentimes is. was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And the reason I like the word complete is because the prophets, Mark did an interesting thing when he read the, the scripture of Isaiah. Remember that earlier this morning? He read Isaiah. And then what did he say? Do you remember? He said this scripture is about Jesus. Because Isaiah wasn't sure exactly who it was. Isaiah didn't know it was about Jesus born of Mary in Nazareth. Isaiah spoke what God told him to speak, but he didn't see the complete picture. He saw most of it. He knew a wonderful thing, but he didn't see the complete picture. And then Jesus comes, and, and you can hear Isaiah going, oh, of course, Jesus, born of a virgin, in that, in bethlehem healing restoring preaching it fulfills prophecy is not a prediction chicago weathers a prediction prophecy is not prophecy is a certainty it's just that If you just read the Old Testament, it's hard to figure out, and you don't know any of the New Testament, hard to tell who exactly is Isaiah speaking of. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to do this, and all of a sudden, oh, got it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And this is the quote from Isaiah. Behold, or pay attention, my servant. And, and the word servant is interesting. It can be translated son and oftentimes is. But the word means, the word servant means, one who is committed in total obedience to another. A slave or a son, right? One who is committed in total obedience to another. A son... If he's a good son, he's committed total obedience to his father. When we read this, we realize that healing on the Sabbath is in complete obedience to God. Pharisees don't think so. Pharisees think he's a lawbreaker. But we read from Isaiah, My servant, whom I have chosen... My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This quote from Isaiah tells us what God thinks about the way Jesus keeps the Sabbath. God loves it, God approves of it. Of course, do it, bring healing. To my people. This is what God wants. God is pleased with the way Jesus keeps the Sabbath. And then Gentiles, the word Gentile there, is, it, it simply means all people. It's not just for Israel, it's for everybody, it's for all the nations. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, and this whole passage, I was thinking, okay, why am I, what, What do you say? I read these verses from Isaiah and I said, oh, this sounds very familiar. Where have we heard this before in Matthew? Does it ring a bell to you yet? Think about it. And when Jesus was baptized, he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. Yep, this is my son. I will put my spirit upon him. That's exactly what you saw in Jesus' baptism. And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son or servant, one who is in complete obedience to all that I ask, with whom I'm well pleased. Oh, we see that in Isaiah. That's why it's a fulfillment. Isaiah didn't know he's speaking of Jesus' baptism but he was in many ways, wasn't he? Oh, fulfillment. This is who Jesus is. And it continues. So the first part was more about God and God's choice. Now this is about really about Jesus, the second part of this. And this part is about the character of Jesus, which is really interesting. He will not quarrel. Well, who would he quarrel with? Those telling lies about him? Those who are saying, you're a Sabbath breaker? Those who are saying, you're you're bad? Those who are saying, we're going to destroy you? Who do you argue with? Who do you quarrel with? or cry out loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is in complete contrast to the scribes and Pharisees, right? Who are looking to condemn, who are speaking. They're sure that people know he's breaking the Sabbath. They're in the streets condemning. They're walking in the fields accusing. They're watching in the synagogue, plotting to destroy. That's not Jesus. How do you respond when people falsely accuse you? Unjustly accuse you? I'm not saying you shouldn't defend yourself. But note the character of Jesus. Jesus is not looking for confrontation He's not looking for a shouting match. He's not standing in the street to prove his point, how wrong the Pharisees are. He doesn't want to argue. It's not a screaming match to convince the people, vote for me. He simply obeys God. He goes out and heals. Interesting of all things, it was a, somebody writing an article for the uh, Reader's Digest, a man. And it, the article is going to be on the Amish. So he studied the Amish in preparation for this article. And in his observation, he went to a schoolyard and he watched the schoolyard and he noticed that the children never screamed or yelled. this amazed him, he spoke to the schoolmaster. He remarked how he had not once heard an Amish child yell. And he asked the schoolmaster why he thought this was so. And this is what he said. The schoolmaster replied, well, have you ever heard an Amish adult yell? I used to have a parents' night when I did youth group and I could tell you who the parents of the kids were. They didn't have to introduce themselves. I used to have this one kid no matter what we did he'd always go that's not fair that's not fair we're playing the game that's not fair parents' night we're playing the game and the parent that's not fair I thought yeah the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree does it? You know, children learn from us. They learn how to talk. My father, when I was young, he had a pretty rich vocabulary. And you know what I mean by that, right? You know who else had a rich vocabulary? Me. And I can remember quite distinctly going home from grade school one day, clear as a bell, A voice saying to me, not a voice like mine right now, but it's a voice in my head. And it was the Lord. And Lord simply said this. Stop it. Stop. Enough. I had learned one thing growing up. Then I heard God speaking about character. My character. And from that day forward, no more of that language. We need to show our children the character of Christ. If anybody at this point in time right here with Jesus, he has a reason to not be of good character. They're lying about him. They're following him through the grain fields. They're following him into the, sanctuary, into the synagogue. They're accusing him. They're planning to destroy him utterly. Oh, he's got good reason. But he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. He has no need. Jesus has no need to justify himself. And then the Isaiah continues and these are beautiful words a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not quench Christ comes to people and you can see this in our story he come, he goes out of synagogue and spends time healing the multitudes Jesus comes to people who are bruised and battered Jesus comes to people whose Wick, whose flame is getting ready to be extinguished. Those are the kind of people Jesus loves to be with. He, Jesus comes to the spiritually broken, those bruised by sin and all of its effects, so they're unable to stand under it. That's the kind of person Jesus comes to So I ask you when or have you been bruised by a harsh word by the way someone spoke to you by what they said about you stupid (coughs) idiot ignorant worthless some of you have had Parents tell you that all your life. Jesus knows. Has a friend's anger threatened to extinguish your relationship with them? Something's happened in your friendship and you're like, really? There's no forgiveness? There's no reconciliation? Have you been broken by a spouse's betrayal? Or simply broken by the betrayal of a friend. Some a friend lied to you. A brother lied about you. A sister did. Have been broken by your own failure. Your own sin. Shouldn't have done it. God, I am broken. A bruised reed, he will not break. He doesn't Jesus does not come to to condemn. He takes his sin upon himself to heal, to forgive. Richard Sibbs is a Puritan pastor. So, 1600s. The bruised, and he wrote a book called The Bruised Reed. It's a classic book taken from this text of Isaiah 42. And this is what he says. Are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds. Open all all before him and go to Christ. There is more mercy in him than sin in you. Isn't that a great phrase? There's more mercy in him than sin in you. If you've been hurt, if you've been bruised, if you've been battered, come to Jesus. He's not going to break you. He's not going to quench you. He wants to bring healing to your soul. He wants to reconcile you. He wants to show you what reconcile is all about. Jesus is doing physically to people at the moment, to everybody, to a multitude. What he wants to do is spiritually heal people. And Isaiah finishes up saying this until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So I just want to say a thing about justice. And I want to do it through two stories. First is about an African man whose name is Emma. I know in America Emma's usually a, a female name, but this man's name is Emma. And he has escaped some horrors of the war in some of the smaller warring countries in Africa. He escapes with his family and, um, and he becomes a Christian and he becomes a pastor. And he is at a retreat with other pastors in in Ghana. And says this, as Emma opened his heart and shared the story of violence and injustice he had witnessed that had happened to his family and friends and people, he started to weep openly despite the fact that African men never weep in public. Then Emma said these words. He's speaking to the, a pastor who's writing the story. He says, you know, Mark, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the just judgment of God because I will never get justice in this world. But I couldn't cope if, it was, if I was never going to see justice done. Mark commented this. We in the West often recoil from God's justice for a very simple reason. We hardly suffer injustice, but most people around the globe, and, and I wanna say we do see injustice, I get it, but not like you see in these third world countries. Not like you saw in Nazi Germany. Not like you've seen in so many places. We hardly have to to suffer injustice. But most people around the globe recognize that God's justice is praiseworthy and great. Of course, his mercy and redemption are even greater. But we need his perfect justice as well. Because if God is not just, God is not righteous. Right? Right? The second story is about victory. So I was a justice, he brings justice. Second story is about victory. And this is important too. It's about the pioneers and what they used to do. So my family were pioneers out in Nebraska. Still there. They are still there on the same land that was granted to them by Abraham Lincoln. And they actually have the land grant. It's the coolest thing. And when there's a prairie fire, what the settlers used to do is they knew this was coming at them with force and what were they gonna, how were they going to survive this? What they would do is they would control burn a large area, a circle. Burn it off. And then by the time the prairie fire got there, they'd stand in the burnt circle. And the prairie fire would simply go by them and over them. And they would be safe unburnt. When the judgment of God comes to sweep men and women into hell for eternity, there's only one spot that is safe. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out on Calvary at the cross. The Son of God took the wrath that should have been fallen upon us. Now we take our stand at the cross. And we are safe for all time eternity. Justice, victory. Victory and justice. So what are some of my takeaways? Oh, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. This is the hope of the world. Gentiles, you just have to realize Gentiles means the nations. How are they going to survive the fire? How are the nations going to survive the fire? Only at the cross. Because that's where the judgment fell. And because the judgment fell at the cross. It's the only safe place to stand. So, here are some of my takeaways. Yours may be completely different, but these are mine. Imitate Christ. Imitate Christ, A, because it's good for you to do that, right? Righteousness. We want to become more like Christ. We want to be Christ-like. Paul says that. But also imitate Christ because people are watching you, especially if you have children. They are watching you. They will repeat you. They will imitate you. They will live like you. How will you live What kinds of words will come out of your mouth? A child learns hitting when they see hitting in the family. A child learns anger when they see anger in the family. That was me. Not the hitting, but the vocabulary was. Two. Broken. If you have been bruised, if you've been broken, if you've been burned, we use that word burned in our vocabulary, don't we? I was burned. Man, that guy really burned me. We use it. Then come to Christ. You say, well, sort, how do I come to Christ? Well, let me suggest three ways, and you hear it often, but you probably need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. Come to Christ in prayer. You can pour your our out on him. And let him know how badly you've been broken bruised. How you have been burned. Come to worship. So many people, when they're broken or bruised, they don't want to come to worship. I've seen it time and again. They stay away. Because they think we are gonna break the bruised reed. We think we're gonna extinguish them, but we aren't, are we? We are the body of Christ. Church is where we need to be when we are bruised, when we are broken, when we are burned. We come here to sing and to pray. And then also through scripture. Scripture is healing. It's healing. We don't have time this morning, but I'd, I'd love to just sit and tell you some of the amazing stories about scripture in my life and how it has brought me courage and healing and hope. And then finally, justice to victory is at the cross people who don't come to the cross will be burned they'll be burned we'll stand at the cross because at the cross Christ was burned for us he took our sins in his body on the cross the judgment has my judgment I have been judged but I have been judged in Christ at the cross. God will not burn me. My friends might, my family might, my co-workers might. This world will burn me, but God will not. Because Jesus has taken that judgment and brought it to victory. Isn't that amazing? Victory. Victory in judgment. Let us pray. It's hard, God, to think of victory in judgment, but there it is in the cross. And I thank you for that. I pray, God, if there are people here today who are feeling bruised, broken, burned, that they would come to you. And just like you healed that multitude, every last one of them, help them come to you this morning and find healing. Healing for the broken. Healing for the bruised. Healing for the the burned. You will not turn us away. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.